For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Bible teaches us to always pray that the Lord will lead us not into temptation. Now, here in Proverbs chapter 5, we learn how to resist the sin of sexual immorality. Now, let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Adulteress. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. And now as we're gathered together to hear from you through your living word, Lord, that's sharper than a two-edged sword, just... um, Cut through, Lord, the, the deep layers of our hearts and get down to that, that place where only God can speak and so that we can hear and be blessed, grasping these truths that set our hearts free. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the disciples asked uh, Jesus to teach them how to pray, and uh, he gave them a model, as we all know, and it wasn't to repeat over and over again, but it was to give them some guidelines in prayer. And there's a very famous line. That line is, lead us not into temptation. So it's a model prayer, you know, how to have daily communication with God our Father. And that would include then always being mindful and prayerful and alert and wise about the pitfalls and temptations in life. We're supposed to, in our daily praying, be talking to God about keeping us safe from temptation and from sin. And so why is that? Well, why did the Lord put that into the model prayer for daily corresponding with and relating with the Lord Jesus? Well, because to stray from the path is to to have a train wreck, you know, because uh, sin means to miss the mark or to step over the line or to transgress, as it's called, right? And so uh, all, all sin is leaving the track or leaving the path, and that's what Proverbs is all about. Uh, when we stay uh, on track, trust in the Lord, do things our lives God's way, we are wise and we are blessed. And just the opposite is true when we take matters into our own hands, do life our way, yield to temptation to do things the world's way or our natural sinful inclination, um, and then we are unwise or uh, foolish, and then we reap the painful uh, consequences. And so uh, right from the start, we find out that really the book of Proverbs is, is about not yielding to temptation. Now... I like what uh, Kidner is a famous commentator uh, in the Old Testament, and I like what he said about the book of Proverbs. He said, the book of Proverbs doesn't take us to church very often. It's not a churchy book. Rather, it cries to us out in the streets. And from, really, it's crying to us to have wisdom in the nooks and crannies of our lives. So, in other words, wisdom is crying to us at the mall. Uh, when we just got paid and we're supposed to have a budget and we're not supposed to spend more than we make because that's what Proverbs teaches us not to do uh, because the debtor is, is slave to the creditor, 
right? And so it calls to us. It calls to us in our beds when we wake up and we don't want to get out of bed. It says, get out of bed, oh sluggard. You know, uh, laziness is like somebody who just keeps flopping over on the couch or on the bed like a door turns on its hinges. So Proverbs is always calling out whether it is uh, at your work or your job or taking a stroll on a rooftop and having your eyes fall upon a very pleasant but unlawful uh, sight. Wisdom calls out wherever you are how to avoid temptation, how to live above that and to resist and to be wise and to be blessed. And that's the whole ordeal, the whole, whole order of things, I should say, is this, that it would go well with us when we keep the commands. That's what God said. So tonight, Proverbs 5, uh, wisdom is going to be calling out to the, the, the moments where we are tempted, uh, those rooftop experiences uh, in unguarded moments in our heart uh, when we have temptation to uh, sexual sin and how to avoid that and the disaster of something called adultery. Now, it's a prevalent theme in the book of Proverbs. Well, go figure. He's talking to his boy, and his boy is probably 13, 14, 15. In the original context, of course, the spiritual application is the Heavenly Father is talking to all of his children. And there's no better time in the entire creation than today to take heed to these truths in a culture that worships all things sensual that sells everything and messages bombarded by the hundreds, by the hundreds each week. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages that are uh, meant to cause you to lower your moral standards and and by God's standards to sin uh, sexually. And so uh, tonight... So many invaluable insights in this, in this chapter, chapter 5, uh, how uh, sexual uh, temptation and sin starts, how to avoid it, uh, or how to fall into it, if really, because you can look at it that way, uh, how not to, uh, uh, how deceptive and how lethal it is, and, and how vulnerable really we all are. And, and it doesn't stop there. It ends with how delightful the gift of marriage is. And so the dangers and delights, if you're taking notes, the dangers and the delights of um, being married and human sexuality, how to avoid uh, promiscuity and to love your husband or to love your wife. So he starts with the danger of the danger and delights. He goes with danger first. So here's verse one. My son... Um, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight so that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave." She gives no thought to the way of her life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Okay, let's pause there. <clears throat> and, and really tonight I see, I see really three Ds. 
All right, so three key words. They start with D. Number one would be discernment, the need for discernment. Now, one of the royal jewels in the crown of wisdom, man, it is this thing called discernment. And there are four words in our text tonight that just kind of bounce around that meaning. Uh, he pleads with uh, Rehoboam, his son. Solomon's son is named Rehoboam. And he's saying, Rehoboam, listen to me. And he says, pay attention to my wisdom. And then he, said, he brings up the word insight. He says, uh, listen well to my words of insight. Then he brings up the word discretion. And he says uh, that you may maintain discretion. And then he uses the word knowledge, that your lips would preserve knowledge. And so really by definition, to sum up those four words, really discernment really uh, nails it on the head. Um, Discernment really by definition is to hear beyond what somebody is saying and really know what the truth is, to be able to kind of see past facades. You just kind of have a spiritual radar that allows you to really cut through anything complicated uh, or challenging, and you really just get it. You just see and understand true motives, even your own motives that, that are hard to discern. Uh, the wool cannot be pulled over the eyes of someone who's discerning. You know why? Because it doesn't need, you don't need sight. When you're a discerning person, you don't even need your ears. You, you are discerning with your spirit. It's a spiritual gift from God. And um, this is what he's saying. He's saying, son, uh, you really are going to need this, uh, the, this, uh, this attribute of discernment. The opposite of discernment is, to, is really uh, to be gullible or naive. You just believe everybody in anything. And um, you, you know and sense the difference between a sincere uh, compliment or flattery. These are, these are the things that will keep you safe, especially with sexual temptation. You need to be able to see what truly is going on because when you mix hormones and spiritual deception in the wrong place at the wrong time and all our broken feelings and our sinful nature... That's a bad mix. But if you have discernment, you'll be able to know uh, what's going on and uh, how to avoid a disaster. So discerning, the discerning man or woman will never fall prey to the seducer. And and this is what we see here, uh, or a seductress, or she's called an adulteress um, throughout the um, chapter. So to be forewarned, Uh, is to be forearmed, and this is why Solomon is going to have a chat with his sons, right? And so all Christian dads uh, need to have that awkward uh, chat or or many talks with their sons who are growing into manhood uh, because it's wise to be, to forewarn somebody about what's going on out there. So, uh, you know, sometimes we picture the adulteress as Jezebel with her eyes painted up, you know, and, you know, a hard countenance and all of that. But really, uh, any, uh, a Christian young woman, for example, uh, who is with her boyfriend, and she's sort of, you know, kind of cuddling, and they're being affectionate, and one thing is leading to the other, uh, he's responding to her okayness with everything, 
and um, she never puts the brakes on, and, and he is hearing yes. And so he is being seduced, and he is also the initiator. But here you have somebody who really is a seductress. So, so I, but she's a Christian woman. So I don't know what we picture, or you could just reverse it, and, and, and I do want you to reverse it throughout this, depending on your, who you are and your gender, uh, because it will speak both ways, and it just so happens to be framed in this way. And so, I, you know, the reason I bring up young adults is because I just spoke there on Monday, uh, just a couple nights ago. And, and, you know, I just wanted to say that there they all are, you know. I just want to say, you know, making out when you are dating, making out is foreplay. And, And foreplay has one purpose, and it's to start and get the game going and to finish the game. That's where that's headed. And so couples who are not married have no business starting something they cannot finish. So uh, really no making out. It's just just until you're married because making out is really uh, already crossing the line into what husbands and wives are permitted to do. And so, you know, be that as it may and all of your... thoughts about what I just said. Um, Where do you get this discernment? Well, too bad you can't just order it on Amazon or major in it at at the JC, or maybe you could call in your local pharmacy and take a pill. Uh, But no, it doesn't work that way. You got to listen to your father's word. You got to listen to your godly father or your pastor or a counselor or a godly mother or the word of God, or Christian fellowship. These are, walk with the wise, and you will become wise. That's a proverb, right, later on. So wisdom comes through experience, but through hanging out with the right people and doing the right things and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians, New Testament theology on this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So he starts with the lips, okay? And so what does he say? First, he starts with his lips. And he says, son, you know, make sure you keep, with your lips, you preserve uh, knowledge. So what is he saying there? He's saying, keep telling yourself the truth because it's powerful. It's powerful to know the truth and it's powerful for you from your own thoughts and lives to be able to speak yourself, tell yourself what's right and what's wrong. You can talk yourself into things and you can talk yourself out of things. And this is what he's saying. Rehoboam, when things, you get into a tough spot in life, tell yourself the right thing to do. You know the right thing to do, but let your lips keep speaking the truth to your own heart and life. That's what exactly what he's saying. Listen, uh, we really have a lot of power to tell ourselves to do something or not to do something. And I just saw this just the other day. Um, I've been trying to get a little bit more fit. <laughs> I've been trying to lose a little bit of weight. And so I've been wanting to go to the gym. And I'm, I'm, it's hit and miss. But here's how it goes. The dialogue in my head, it's unbelievable. It, it, it's hilarious if it weren't so tragic. <laughs> so so at first I start telling my mind, lips start saying, hey, you know what? You're paying for a gym membership. 
right? So logic. I appeal to myself by the logic. You're, you're, you, know, you don't just love them. You're not just investing in them. You should get something out of this since you're paying every month. And so, you know, and then I start, I get the sweats on and I'm thinking it's going to be good for me and how, how good it feels when you stop, you know? <laughs> and I've got all these things going on in my mind. And, and, and uh, so I got my sweats on and then I am tying my, my running shoes. And right when I'm tying my running shoes, I, I hear t- in my own head and my, through my own lips, you know, while I'm tying my shoes, you know, it's getting cold out there. You know, I went, what does that matter? Well, what matters is that when the fireplace is on, it's so nice. And you've been, you've been working a lot of hours. And this is what I'm telling myself. And, and you could catch up on some reading or maybe the news, you know. And, and so before I know it, I'm like, what? What was I thinking? So I go downstairs and get the fireplace on. And, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, you're going to have to make something for dinner. Right? And so now what do, what do we have? We have pasta, right? Well, I can't have pasta. Yes, you can if it's whole wheat. <laughs> Keep telling yourself the truth. Keep telling yourself the truth, Rehoboam. Keep saying this. I am weak. I could fall wrong place, wrong time. 10 seconds in the wrong place in the wrong time. Yes, I can Keep telling yourself the truth that it is wrong and the world has it wrong and to follow the world will be to destroy yourself. Keep telling yourself the truth. I must deny myself, pick up my cross and uh, keep telling yourself the truth. You are going to stand before God someday and give an account for every last thing. So we go from his lips to hers, all right? And so uh, he says, Keep your lips busy with the truth and far away from her lips as humanly possible. All right. I thought that was funny, but all right. Her lips, full, glossy, um, supposedly sweet tasting, uh, painted beautifully, all different colors, right? One for a different color of the year or every day of the year. And, And painted beautifully and injected professionally. That's what... They do, right? Uh, hey, I read blogs, I read magazines, I know stuff. And, and so I'm sure they're very Hollywood and beautiful, but the point here isn't uh, so much physical beauty, even though it is uh, mentioned there. It's the flattery, it's the words, it's the sweet lies that snare him into the trap of uh, sexual uh, temptation and then adultery. That's what he's saying. The honey drips. It's sweet, you know. So drip, drip, drip. Uh, and here come the words. And the words are things like we've talked about this before. You know, uh, have you been lifting weights your whole life? You know, and this is what, what, what is very sweet to a man's uh, ego. All right. Uh, how about this? Man, your wife really got lucky. Your wife got lucky because, you know, my husband can't to save his life. Or my wife, you know, just reverse it. My wife, she's always this, but you, you know. Wow, there's something different about you. You just kind of have an aura of just peace about you, you know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I, I, I do that to a lot of people, you know. I've never really met a guy quite like you. Is there anything you can't do? 
Oh, yeah. You know, you well, the guys believe it, all right? So the guys believe it. If, you know, your job falls through and you lose that job, you could always be a model. <laughs> guys believe it. Guys eat it up. Now, the devil helps and he prepares this woman's speech. And you know this is true. That while, you know, somebody says, you look nice today, he makes sure it's the day the spouse says, you're going to wear that today? You, you can't wear that today. Or, or it's the day she says, honey, do I look fat in this dress? Or, or the, the question all guys dread, you know, does this dress make me look fat? You know, and then he didn't say anything in time. That's the day that the guy is going to say, are you losing weight? You know, that's how it works, all right? So, you, you know, you're going to hear, you know, I like that cologne. And then you're going to, you are going to know you can bet on this that the spouse is going to say, have you taken a shower today? You know, so while well, you get, have you taken a shower today with a turned up nose and you're going to get at the workplace or at the gym or wherever it is you are, you are bound to hear, you know, you always smell so nice. And then you're going to think to yourself as if it's your own thought, boy, somebody appreciates me as if that was your thought. That's not your thought. That's some demon that's right there going, okay, boss, we got him over here. Boom, we just put that thought in the head and we made sure this is happening. You don't think that's happening? It's happening because uh, the Bible tells us that's how it goes. And so I have down here, maybe if husbands, and this is a quote from somewhere, maybe if husbands and wives learned a little something from the homewrecker's strategy about dripping honey and did some sweet talking at home, building each other up and keeping the passion alive, there'd be less of an allurement to hear nice things and feel some warmth elsewhere. That said, there, there's not, uh, no adulterer will ever get really the luxury of out offloading one single ounce of responsibility for sinning. Uh, we pay for our own sins and we'll never be able to say, oh, the reason I had to do that was because you don't know my situation at home. Well, the Lord knows your situation at home and uh, you, you, we pay for our own sins. Uh, but there is something to be said for keeping the home fires burning uh, bright. So in this case here, um, the bait has been dropped, and it's the wrong time, and it's the wrong place, and the wrong lips that drink, uh, drip honey. Listen, Song of, Hol <laughs> Song of Solomon says that the wife's, her lips, drip honey. There's nothing wrong with sweet lips and an exciting, intimate relationship at home. Song of Solomon, right? It's just here... It's the wrong time, the wrong place, and the wrong set of lips. They cannot drip honey because God has appointed one woman, one man together, and the two shall become one. That just makes it mathematically impossible uh, to share those lips with anybody else. And so the bait has been dropped. The sweet lies have been told. Big boy bites down because he can't see the end. Why? Because he doesn't have discernment because he didn't listen to his father, he's not reading the word of God, he stopped going to church, and so he can't see beyond this. 
he hears, oh boy, have you been working out lately? And he buys it. He, he can't figure out, dude, you're being set up right now. He can't figure it out. Uh, so time for a dose of reality. So the, the intimate relationship with a man or a woman outside your own bounds of marriage promises great pleasure and uh, satisfaction, but in reality, uh, it results in tremendous pain. It's a choice you will one day deeply regret. He goes on to say in verse four, what looks sweet has bitter aftertaste. Uh, that's because the honey in this case is laced with arsenic. All right. So yes, there's an initial sweetness and thrill. Uh, the Bible is not shy about saying that sin initially is pleasurable for a time. For a season. Uh, uh, in other words, why would you want to sin if it wasn't, weren't pleasurable? And so uh, you'll notice that there are no commands about avoiding poison oak or putting your finger into a socket. He doesn't have to say, thou shalt not eat gravel, you know, because we figured it out, right? But he does have to tell us not to sin sexually because it is pleasurable for a season. The whole thing about discernment is seeing to the end, hitting fast forward, finish the story. But the, the foolish person doesn't have the wisdom to go beyond the immediate gratification to the consequences the following day. That is the difference between maturity and immaturity and wise and being a fool. Now, we do, do need commands to, uh, to avoid things that appear beautiful, but there, seems, uh, there, appear, there, there is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but in the end, it leads to death. Right? So there is, an, there is a way that seems pleasurable. right? And so the gravel is sugar-coated until you get it into your mouth and try to swallow it. And so uh, he has to tell us about these things. So instead of being sweet as honey, he says it's bitter as gall. Uh, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word. Uh, the Hebrew word is wormwood, which is a really bitter and sometimes poisonous plant. Uh, gall is really just, you know, if you've ever had the dry heaves and there's nothing in your stomach uh, to... to um, to bring up, uh, and you bring up that acid, uh, that is really gall. And so uh, it, the honey has changed from sweetness to uh, acidic of, of that of acid. And so um, I just picture, you know, the robot from Lost in Space just going like this at this point. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger, right? To follow her lead is to really go to the underworld, straight to the cemetery. You follow sexual temptation, and it leads you straight to the graveyard with a big stone with your name engraved right there. That's just the Bible. Verse 6 says, you know, the strangest thing is she's flying upside down. She's in a total nosedive, and so is he. And they don't know it, and they don't care because they don't even think about their lives. They just think about what they want in the moment, and it doesn't matter if they're married or not because they are uh, acting as fools. And so uh, that's what fools do. They go off the rails. They don't even know they're off the rails until the train uh, wreck happens and it comes to a screeching halt. So D is for discernment. 
to be able to get past all the ego and all the flattery and all the spiritual deception and see the end, to see the consequences of your actions. That is discernment. The first D has now passed. The second D. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I wouldn't obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. So the second uh, D word is going to be distance. Keep your distance, you know. And so first he says, listen, don't brush off my words so quick, kid. All right, listen to me. Uh, It's so easy to say whatever to dad, especially when it sounds like a lecture. Uh, So easy to dismiss. So especially when... Listening to Father Solomon is going to require making some changes, uh, checking out the clock and seeing what time you need to be home and uh, starting to do some discipline, uh, reining in some of your activities or making some changes and nobody wants to do that. So he says, don't, please don't disregard my words. God the Father is saying, hey, I know if you follow me, God the Father speaking, if you follow me, some of the things... I require will will be inconvenient for you, uncomfortable. You may see a little bit of loss because you're doing the right thing. But trust me, don't push it aside. Do it, even though it costs you a little bit. So he goes on, and here's the best advice in the Bible about how not to sin. Don't get close to the thing. Don't don't just, just put some fat distance between you and the problem, and it'll never happen. That is just the most simple yet profound uh, piece of advice in the entire Bible. If there's never nearness to something, then you'll never make contact with it. And so keep a healthy distance between you and the idea, the person, the place, the situation, whatever it is, whatever it takes. If you're at work and you're uncomfortable and you find out it's because you're sitting next to, you work next to them, change Where you sit in the office, ask for a transfer. Put some distance. Uh, I always meet the same person at the same place at the same time by coincidence. Oh, no. You know, and you start to feel kind of awkward and almost you kind of know. This could be trouble. Go the other way. Go the other way. Take another way home. Don't even go into the store. Oh, I'm always tempted to buy this one thing. Don't go to that store. Go to a different place. That's what he's saying. If you don't make the rule, my rule is I'm never going to commit adultery. Have several rules way before that. All right? Because by the time you get to just the, the rule, it could be too late. Right? What did God tell Eve? Don't eat of the tree. Don't go near it. Don't touch it. Because if you'd never touch it, see, that's a rule over here. Then you'll never eat. Yes, never eat is a rule. But why don't you have several other rules right before the big rule? 
so that you don't go over the edge. Isn't that smart? Amen? Well, you put some distance. You know, move to Cincinnati. What's, what is wrong with Cincinnati? All right? It's in the middle of the country. It's very conservative. I just There's a good church there. Don't... <laughs> Don't bring up the subject. Don't entertain the thought. Don't drive down the street. Come on. You get it. But no. Here's, here comes the attempt to reason with Rehoboam. And it sounds like Rehoboam's rolling his eyes because he keeps at him. You know, I can hear the dad in him saying, now listen to me. It's really, and let me tell you why you need to not commit adultery. It's a bad investment. It is really a poor use of your energies, of your monies. And here's what he says in verse 9. It's in your text. He says this is a really bad investment. He says, your best years and your best strength. Here's what he's talking about. I should go to your own livelihood, to your wife, to your kids, to your house, to your investments, to your happiness, in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s, all of that blood, sweat, and tears and all the highs and lows and all the back-breaking work, all of that, it's your life, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. That's your, your foundation for your career, for your wife, for your marriage, for your, for your investments, for your house and home ownership. All of that time he's saying, would you just go across the street and, and let... All of that go to some other guy? Would, 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 you, you, would you channel all of those resources of your 20s, 30s, and 40s, all of that hard work to put a, a roof on the, on the other guy's house, to build a fence for his property, for him? Maybe put a pool in for his kids, you know? Is that the kind of thinking you have? Because when you risk infidelity, you stand to risk it all. You will lose your life. But what he's saying is, look at who you're investing. Instead of pouring your, your energy and your fitness and all your, 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 uh, your love and energy into your wife, who you took vows with, who's the mother of your children, some stranger is going to get that investment of your heart, mind, soul, and your body. He's saying that it just doesn't make sense, man. And, and you're giving yourself away and all your resources to someone who's cruel. Well, why are you going to say she's cruel for? You don't even know her, you know? She just, uh, yeah, she doesn't care about your kids. She doesn't care about your kids crying themselves to sleep and visiting their dad every other weekend. She doesn't care. She wants you, and she wants you bad, and that's it. That's all she cares about. She's cruel. Does she care about your wife? No, she doesn't care about your wife and your fragile marriage and all the, the stuff your wife has put up with you and the years of her hurt and pain and all of her anguish. She doesn't care. She's cruel. All she cares about is herself. And you're willing to put it all on the line and give it to her. The person who is cruel to your kids, cruel to your wife, and, and actually cruel to you. Because she's reduced you to a loaf of bread, man. You're for sale. She's buying you like she went into 7-Eleven. I'll have some eggs and cheese and, and Tom. You know, I just said Tom. <laughs> Tom, 
Harry, John, Jim, whatever. That's what she's doing. She's cruel, and that's what you're doing. And unfortunately, you know what, man? He says, when you write out your alimony check and you see him cashing it and them going on vacation to Puerto Vallarta with your money, taking your kids with you, you will see at the end of your life, you'll be there and say, man, you know what? I hated discipline. I don't listen to my dad. Now, there are a lot of people who are victims, and they're on the other end of this, and they end up seeing that through no fault of their own. They are the victim in this situation, and our hearts go out to them, right? So it's not just the adulterer <laughs> who has to pay, you know, in time, the adulterer will pay as well. So we go on here, and he says, listen, you really don't want to be sending checks every month and have to sell your house and all your toys and split it up half and then uh, be at the end because you want to know regret. He goes on to say, here's a picture of the end. You know, you're going to be old and wrinkled and tired and spent and weak and empty and alone. And you're not going to get to enjoy the fruit of your labors because you squandered your efforts with promiscuity and gave it away. So instead of uh, funneling and channeling all of your energies and resources where they belonged in the home, in the boundary of holy matrimony and your family, you were outside the box. And so now you are left with a groan. And that word groan is uh, a, a word that's used for an animal in distress. How sad. You know, uh, now will come the, the litany of if onlys, if only, if only, if only. You know the, that, that poem, that little limerick. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these, it might have been. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these. It could have been. If, if only I didn't return the text. If only I wasn't playing around on Facebook that day. If only I just changed gyms when it all started to happen. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. He says, do you want to know regret? Then play around with sexual sin. You will know regret. And at the end of it, you'll say, if only I just went to my pastor. If only I just listened to my dad. If only, if only, if only. It's too late. It's too late then. It's too late. And then the worst part, verse 14, is the embarrassment and the shame. It's just everybody knows. What, what, what was going on in secret, what they themselves couldn't even figure out or see, everybody else will see and know about it. And he says, just, it's just, just a terrible, shameful thing, right? So let's finish up. Maybe there's some good news here. <laughs> Drink water from your own well. Running water from your own well, sister and well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. 
May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving, doe, a graceful deer. May her love satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by that love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He'll die for his lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. And so we're finishing up there. That is the final paragraph there. And so now the third D. First, we had a discernment to see past the bait and past the temptation into the tragedy. Then we have some distance to act uh, with a preemptive strike to make uh, room between uh, us and the potential disaster. And now delight. It seems to be that the Bible advocates as the greatest deterrent to adultery a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage where there's joy and there's fulfillment and love and kindness and affection and intimacy that is the secret to not wanting to find it anywhere else. Uh, I mean, it's not foolproof, but it is something that is suggested uh, here. And so, you know, Hebrews 13 says, keep the marriage bed undefiled or keep the marriage bed pure. What that means, and then he says, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keeping the marriage bed pure just simply means this, all Sexual activity needs to be in the boundaries of holy matrimony. And that is the place, the exclusive place for the joy of physical intimacy. Uh, so uh, here the Hebrew poetry is really sort of rated PG-13. Um, if you knew what uh, Hebrew poetry stands for, uh, you would be blushing. And that's just the way it is. The Song of Solomon is like that as well. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, I watered down a couple of the verses there. If you were following around uh, me, if you were following in the Bible you will have noticed uh, that for the, for the sake of awkwardness, uh, that I, I retained the meaning perfectly, uh, but we, we uh, did a little, uh, what's the word? Yeah, thank you, editing, <laughs> creative editing there. Well, what's going on? Here's what one guy said, listen. God's gift of marital love involves the most intimate and personal sharing of body, soul, and spirit. The bonding that unites the two, that, that makes them one, brings with it blessed joy and wonder and fulfillment. It makes no sense at all and violates both natural and spiritual laws to share with strangers something that can only be enjoyed between husband and wife. So, well, here's what he's saying to Junior. He's saying, Junior, listen, bro, there's plenty of fulfillment and excitement for you, for Romeo, for Juliet. There's in the context of God-given marriage. He, it was his idea, the joy, the excitement. Uh, it's all him. He says, let your wife and, and, and your relationship with your wife be intoxicating. That's the word in Hebrew. Just be, just let that 
be enough. Learn contentment. Man, I just read because I read the proverb of the day every day. So the 27th, in chapter 27, it says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, no human desire is, also human desire is never satisfied. In other words, the eyes of man, man and women, we have a hard time being satisfied. Jesus is the one who said, come to me, I'll fix that. But without the Lord, even with the Lord, it's hard to just be content with our stuff, with our job, with who we are, with who we married, and how it is between us. He says, listen, the answer to an unhappy marriage isn't go find somebody at the gym or, 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 or at school or, or wherever it is. Work on your marriage because God has given marriage as a gift. And he says it can be uh, the answer to what you're looking for is not outside of your marriage, but it's within. And maybe you just need some work or some counseling or to be other-centered or to be patient or more kind, to build each other up, some more caring, some more uh, just uh, enhance your relationship, you know. But Toodles the Train, his lesson was stay on the rails no matter what. Uh, because if you decide that, you know, you're going to fix your problem by getting another woman or another man, as the case may be, you know, then know this, and he saves the most powerful argument uh, for last. He says, God is watching. And therefore, you will know that the consequences, the chastisement, even when he does it in love, it's still going to be painful. He's going to allow some painful things to happen in love to kind of win you back, to, to get you uh, up and running again. But some terrible things can happen as a result of this. And, and, and how you know they will always happen is because God is watching and God is the one who will be dealing with you. He says there in verse 21, the ulti ultimate motivation uh, is God is supervising and no one gets away with anything. Here's the deal. Uh, we're human beings. We didn't birth ourselves. We are human beings. And I think most people just forget how serious and spiritual and sacred human life is. Human life, man, we are proof that there's a God. He gave our spirits life and he gave us bodies and he gave it and, and there's eternity. So you've got eternity, you've got a God, you've got, you've got human spirits that come from God and who will return to God. It's serious business how we conduct ourselves, especially sexually. What did Paul the Apostle say? He said, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. He's saying sin isn't just sin. Oh, we like to say sin is sin, whatever. There are serious, more serious sins than others. And the king sin, according to the apostle Paul, is sexual sin. Because you sear your body, soul, and spirit. You sear yourself. You hurt yourself. And he says, that's why flee from it. Put distance. There it is again. Flee from sexual immorality. Like Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. You know, she got hold of him and he escaped and ran and put some distance between 
uh, her and him. And so he says, watch out for the chastisement. If you are captivated by, if you're, captive, if you're not captivated by your own spouse, and if you're captivated by another person, a stranger, and you sin with them, then your own sins will captivate you and lead you to a very painful, sad, and lonely place. Well, little did they know when you look at the end, little did they know that something they really enjoyed and thought was so exciting and fun would turn around and be the very thing that come and ruin their lives, the very thing they invested in, the very thing they cared about, the very thing that they thought was, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me has now become at the end, and if you had discernment, you would have seen this, the thing that bites you and brings a lot of pain and suffering. I just read about this. This woman, she just loved these dog-wolf hybrids, and she was breeding them. She was breeding them, the dog-wolf. And so the (laughs) dog-wolf, she had some wolves in the pen, and she had some dog-wolves in the pen. And she told everybody, these dog wolves, these wolves give me unconditional love. And then they found her in the cage. She lived till she was 50 years old. 50 years old, dead. From the thing that she nurtured and fed and found so cuddly and adorable, they turned on her. And she ended a life at, at age 50. She fed those things. Those things had the strength to kill her only because she nurtured them from little pups. And you saw the pictures, and they're cute pups, by the way. But when they grow up, they have fangs, and they're animals, and they can't tell who you are versus who an enemy is. And unfortunately, they attacked her, and she died. By the thing that gave me unconditional love. Listen, listen, everybody in this room, me included, be very, very careful. Don't step aside your father's advice. Listen put it into practice, and keep a wide berth from anything that even is a hint of sexual immorality, that it might go well with you. Let me close with this. What if Jesus came into a real broken world, and they grabbed somebody who was going to get bit, a woman caught in adultery, I mean, I don't know that she had all her clothes on. She still had her sheets wrapped around her. And they drug her into the court square there and said, hey, Jesus, Mr. Rabbi, what should we do with this woman? Sitter, adulteress, right? We caught her in the act. The law of Moses back in the day said, we need to stone somebody like this. What do you say? It was a trick question. It was all set up to get Jesus to say something against the law of Moses and the scriptures and all of that. So Jesus looks down and he says, okay, go ahead. But let him without sin be the first one to cast a stone. 
So he shows this woman mercy, an adulterer, right? And he, and he looks down and he says, where did everybody go? Well, they all left, right? Because they got his message. And he says, hey, did, is anybody here to condemn you? And uh, she says, no, sir, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and leave your life of sin. Jesus came not to condemn or to judge, but to save the world. And so he comes into the scene in all of our brokenness and our sexual sins and our past shenanigans and all of that. And he says, I don't condemn you. I do not condemn you. You come to him and he gives forgiveness to go forward. He gives the grace and the comfort to deal with the consequences. And he can even restore and give hope and do all kinds of miraculous things as we take our brokenness to him and leave our lives of sin. That's the part everybody leaves out in the New Age version of the gospel. Oh, Jesus never condemned anybody. And to the woman caught in adultery, he said, see, I don't condemn you. Period. There's no period there. there goes, the story goes on. And he says, uh, leave your life of sin. And so she's, she's going to be, he knew she's a believer. That's why he was able to talk to her like that. Walk with me, leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. What a beautiful way to close this chapter is the hope of the cross and the cross of Jesus Christ whose blood washes us clean from all of our sins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your great love. And there, this just is just a, a tough chapter, Lord. We've all sinned and fall short of your glory. But Father, we just thank you for the smelling salts of your word that just kind of grab us by the scruff of our souls and wake us up and let us know there's a smart way to live and a, and a stupid way to live. And we don't want to do it the foolish way. We want to be smart so that we can be blessed and enjoy the wonderful things that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.